Day to all you mothers. I thought that I would uh, share one of my favorite stories from from my about my mom. Uh, there's many stories I could share, but I thought one that would most honor her. I remember when I was in high school, my mom, if you do not know, was a farmer. Uh, so she had spent her life milking cows, and after all that time, she wrestled with carpal tunnel. Uh, if you know how painful that is um, and how hard it was, so she decided to finally have her carpal tunnel surgery and have it fixed. And the process was for her to take three weeks rest um, from lifting 10 pounds and then three weeks more of physical therapy after that and she could finally return to to the barn and farm work. And so me and my aunt were taking care of the farm and I can remember one afternoon milking cows and I 
I look up two days after my mom's surgery, and there's my mom pushing a feed cart down the aisle filled with hundreds of pounds of grain uh, and taking scoops, which weighed more than 10 pounds, and feeding the cows. Well, I can't just sit inside and do nothing. Uh, and so that veteran said, well, you're fully recovered. You don't need to come anymore. Um, so a couple weeks later, she had the second wrist done and followed the same procedure and did her own physical therapy. So thank you, Mom, for teaching me the toughness and, uh, and hard work. And I love Well, good morning to the rest of you, Emmanuel family. Uh, for the first time live this morning, we are in the book of Exodus, and we'll finish it up here this morning with part three, and that'll be in Exodus chapter 19. Uh, if you haven't been following along, we've been following slaves, and they were prisoners, and God had set them three, God had set them and led them to the Red Sea. We know that he army in the Red Sea. Then he led them to the place of Mara, where there was bitter water, but God turned the bitter water into drinkable water for them. After that, he led them to a place where they were without food, and he rained down manna from heaven in order to feed them. And then the next stop, they were led to a place again where they were without water, and Moses struck the rock and produced water for them. And then once again after that, they entered into battle with the Amalekites, as we talked about last week. Of the Lord, we saw him reign victory over the Amalekites. And so we pick it up here in chapter 19, after chapter 18, where Moses was being overloaded with work, and his father-in-law comes and says, you know what, why don't you raise up your leaders? you in the work. And so we pick up the story there um, in Exodus chapter 19. But before we get there, have you ever been, think about the longest road trip you have ever taken. You know, whether you've driven across country to California or where it may be, um, and just think about the obstacles and the challenges of that trip. I can remember as a child, our longest trip we took to Wisconsin. As a 12-year-old boy, we set out from Pennsylvania in a nice new rental van that we had taken for the trip. 20 minutes down the narrows and, and hits our windshield <laughs> and puts a crack in our nice rental van. Uh, so my parents were like, you know what, let's just roll on. So then, um, you know, as a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old boy in the car, it's not so exciting uh, taking a trip to Wisconsin. So we finally hit um, traffic around Chicago, the worst traffic that I've still experienced to this day. We went two miles in four hours. I was going to the bathroom in bottles as my brother held a sleeping bag up over the window. And then so finally, we you might ask, what is in Wisconsin or why would you ever want to go to Wisconsin? To a 12-year-old boy, uh, there was Lambeau Field for the Green Bay Packers and a tour of the football stadium. But before that, the real reason for going to Wisconsin was to visit my mom's friends who lived on a dairy farm. So once again, as a 12-year-old, not the most exciting pit stop on the way. And so finally, after that, after the rock and after the traffic and after this stop at this farm to visit my mom's friends, we finally got to Lambeau Field. We finally got to walk on the field and take a tour, and it was our final destination. And so that's what it's like, been like for these Israelites. Three months after being set free, they've had obstacle and challenge after challenge and hurdle after hurdle, but they're about to reach their final destination about to reach the place to where they'd set out. Remember, in Exodus 3, when God was raising up Moses and calling Moses, you, 
And this will be a sign to you that is I who have sent you when God on this mountain. And that's in Exodus 3. And if you read 19 verse 1, it says this. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And they have found that God told Moses he was going to bring them to where they would worship the destination. All of the obstacles, all of the hurdles have led them to this point to where they have reached their final destination. Maybe you've never known what it's like to take a long car trip or a road trip, but maybe in your own personal life, you know what it's like. Maybe you feel a little bit like the Israelites wandering around in the desert, uh, wondering, why am I working? What am I aiming for? What is the goal here? Maybe you're feeling frustrated to a point in life where it's like, what is this all about? Why all of these obstacles? Why all of these hurdles? Why all of these challenges? What is the final destination? And if we look this morning and we trust God's word, we'll see what not only was the final destination for the Israelites, but what is also the final destination of our... And so let's take a moment and just pray. Father, we thank you that... We don't wander aimlessly, Father, that we're with, not without meaning, significance, or worth. But, Father, you have given them to us. And so, Lord, I pray as we look at your word this morning that we would know, God, what is the destination and what is the goal that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So they arrive at the mountain and they get to this place. And Moses goes up to God. Remember, Moses is the, the priest. He's the one that's interceding for God. He's talking to God on behalf of the Israelites. And it says he goes up. And the Lord called him from the mountain and said this, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And so God's calling Moses up and saying, Here's the first thing that I want you to instruct, the first thing that I want you to tell the people here at this mountain. And it is this, See yourselves what I have done, what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And the Lord's comparing himself to an eagle here and saying, you have soared on my wings, right? You are like the young in which I have cared for you. I have protected for you. I provided for you. And you have gotten to the place where you are now because I have carried you. You have soared on my wings. When you needed deliverance, when you couldn't even you didn't even have a leader. You didn't even have an army. When you needed to be set free from the Israelites, guess what? I defended you, and I set you free, and I carried you by my grace. When the Egyptian army was chasing you down, and you had no way to defend yourself, I defended you yet again. When you were in a place where you needed water, and you were dependent upon me for your survival, just to have water, I provided. When you needed food to nourish your body and to meet your needs that way, I provided. When you once again came up against battle to the Amalekites and you had no defense and you had no one to defend you, I defended you. They are at this mountain and they're at this place. Why? Because they are recipients of God's grace. They have been carried by God's grace. They've been brought to this place, not by the strength of themselves, not by the power within themselves, but because the Lord has carried them like an eagle carries its young. They are recipients of the grace of God. Their survival depended upon Him. He has provided their every need. And if we think about it, about our own human basic needs and what we desire and what we want as people in general, we want security and safety. He provided that. We need just daily provisions, food to eat, a house to live in, shelter. He has provided that for them. 
We want love. We want friendship. We want to know that we have people that care about us. We want a purpose and a meaning. We want to know that our lives have significance and meaning. And once again, he has provided it. If you think about it, how we are wired and what we really need and the longings and the desires and the passions of our own hearts, God has given this to the nation of Israel. He has set his affection upon them. He has made them his prized people. And they have meaning, significance, protection, provision. Why? Because his grace has freely given it to them. He has extended his hand of grace. And then he does one even better. It says this, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. Their final destination, all of these trials, all of these hurdles, the end goal was this, was to bring them to himself, to call them to himself, to call a people to himself. And so you might wonder, what is the end goal of my journey? What is the significance? What is the importance? What is the meaning? Why do I go to work every day? Why do I raise my family? What is the end goal of everything that I and it's right here in verse 4, is that God is bringing you to himself. Your meaning, your purpose, your significance is all here, is to dwell and to live with him and to worship him. He is the final destination where he brings you and draws you to himself. It's almost like this God planned and thought out and knew something behind the scenes. Almost like we as people and as humanity were made with these longing desires and these urges. It's almost like they were part of our makeup, and we were wired that way, and that God is the answer to meet those things. It's almost like we were made in his image, and he made us for himself to be sustained by him, to be carried by him, and to be drawn by him. And one would think that it was almost planned that way. But listen, your end journey in life is that, is to be united with Christ and to be brought to him. And so this theme of choosing and setting aside continues on in the following verses. And so if you read with me at home in verse 5, it says this. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all of the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nations. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And so over and over again, God emphasizes to the nation of Israel that you are my treasured possession. You are my prized possession. You are my chosen people. If you think about this word treasure, what, what God uses here, think about something valuable that you hold on to from maybe your mother or your grandmother or just a family heirloom that is something that is precious to you. And that is what God is saying about the nation of Israel, that he, they are his prized possession, that they are chosen if you've ever had the privilege of playing schoolyard football, uh, you know what the privilege is when they divide into teams and two people are picking the teams and the privilege of what it's like to be chosen first. Uh, if, you know, if you've ever just played a simple 50-50 raffle um, or you know, you've entered into a drawing and you know what it's like just to have your ticket uh, pulled out of that and you've won, and all it could be is just a jar of candy, right? You know the feeling, right, of what it's like to be chosen, that you're the one, right, the lucky one. Uh, even deeper, you know what it's like for those of you that are married and to have that one person choose you out of all of the other people to be the one that they're going to be faithful to, to be committed to, to love, and to be their chosen one. And God is saying that here to the nation of Israel on a deeper level than all of that, that they are his chosen ones. They are the lucky ones. They are the prized ones. And it's not like God didn't have other options. It's not like, you know what, they were just the only people there and God chose them because of that. He tells them this himself. He says, 
although the whole earth is mine, meaning he rules and he reigns and he is sovereign over all the earth and over all the people. And he's saying in the nation of Israel, I have chosen you. A couple other verses in Deuteronomy confirm this. Deuteronomy 32, 10 through 12 says this. In a desert land, he found him. In a barren and howling waste, he shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. The Lord alone led them. No foreign gods were with them. They are the apple of his eye. And you might be tempted to think, well, what was it? What was it about the nation of Israel that God chose? Was it because of how powerful they were? Was it because of how large they were? Was it because of their influence? And once again, God kind of squashes all of that, and their choosing has nothing to do with the nation itself, but everything to do with his nature, his character, and who he is. If you go to Deuteronomy um, 7, it says this, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other people. For you were the fewest of all people. So then what, Lord? What was it? Why did you choose us? It says in verse 8, But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors and brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why? It's a testament of his love, of his nature, of his character, and of who he is in choosing. What does that mean to us today? That this choosing means that whenever you feel unworthy to be chosen, like you are the lowest of lows, that you have no reason that God would pick you or God would choose you, guess what? It doesn't matter because according to him, it's according to his purposes and his plans and his choosing. It's a testament of his love. And so you can be encouraged today that it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. People make whole doctrines and make a big deal. And why do we make a big deal about this choosing, chosen, being chosen? Why is it so important for us to understand? I would like to dive into that. One, not only because it's biblical, and it's a biblical theme that reoccurs time after time about God's people being chosen, but also it has importance to us about how we worship and how we reorder our lives. Just to confirm, in John chapter 15, verse 12, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. You see, it wasn't the disciples' ability. It wasn't that, oh, Peter, you know what? He catches fish. Yes, he's going to be perfect for, for uh, salvation and spreading the gospel. You know, Matthew, that tax collector, he's the definition of honest and integrity. And I'm going to choose him to be an example for my gospel. No, it had nothing to do with their background and who it was. It had everything to do with who God was and what he was going to do in them and how he was going to draw them to himself and train them and lead them and equip them. And it was, what did he say? You guys didn't choose me. I chose you. I found you where you were. And I saw something in you before you saw anything in yourself. And I chose you and brought you to myself. You see, why does this matter? Because when we understand that it is God who has chosen us and when it, we are his chosen people, it rightly aligns our hearts in worship, right? Because we realize that it has nothing to do with us. That if we remember the point of our salvation or where we were at when we were chosen, and you think about that, and I think about, I go back to the place when I was 17 years old. What did I do to deserve the grace and the gospel of God? Nothing. But thank God that he chose me. Thank God that he chose to bestow his mercy upon me and to bring me into his grace. And when I understand that and when I gain that, then well, all that I can do is bow before him in worship because I know that I did nothing to deserve the grace that was extended to me. And my heart is now properly aligned to give him the glory for my salvation, to give him the credit that he is due. 
because he is the worthy one. And so when I understand that I am chosen, I rightly align myself before him. Because when we're tempted to think that it has something to do with us or that is in our own power and our own walking out, what we're tempted to do is to take the glory and the credit and to rob God of what he rightly deserves. And we start to put too much credit in man. You know what? We don't need morals. We don't need God's law. That was man's invention. That was man's idea. We created it for our survival, for our need. And we're tempted to look upon our actions and what we have done. So why does it matter that we're chosen? Because we understand the God that chose us, and it's a testament of him. And he is the one that receives the glory for what he has done in our life. And that's what he's saying here to the nation of Israel. You are here because of what I have done for you, because you've been recipients of my grace, because I have carried you. That's why I brought you here, to worship me at this mountain. So it's not just a doctrine just to drive home. It properly aligns our hearts with what he is doing in us. It also should give us confidence, right? Knowing that when our faith and our work feels like it's not enough and that we're at that precipice where we feel like we might just lose our faith or we realize just how brittle and weak and feeble it can be, I can be confident in his choosing. Why? Because if he has chosen me, then I can trust that the same God that chose me is going to be the one that carries me through. And this just isn't a promise of Pastor Ryan. This is a promise of Scripture that if you remember Romans 8, 29 through 30, it says this, for, God, for those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And here it is. Those he predestined, guess what? He also called, right? He also chose them. And then what's he going to do with them? Those that he called, he justifies. Those that he justifies, he also glorifies. So from the moment that they have been chosen, that means he's going to see you through to the glorification. And that should give you confidence that it doesn't rest on your faith, but in the one that you place your faith in, that the chosen one will see you through. And so the Israelites were brought here to Mount Sinai, and it's still a desert. There's still no earthly pleasures to be had. There's still nothing appealing, and it's still not the land in which they were going to settle but it's in this place of wilderness, without the comforts of the world, not a place that man would have chosen to go by their own right, but a place that they've been led by God to. It's there that God chooses to demonstrate himself and that he's going to come to them. And he brings the man to the end of themselves, to where all that they can glory in is the hand and the favor of the Lord. And the only thing that he can be satisfied by is his presence and to worship him at this mountain. One commentator wrote this, Israel would do well to consider not what carnal comforts they lack, but what dangers they have escaped and what divine possessions they are in way to acquire. To be brought to God in the fullest sense of the word and to lie comfortably under his protection and nurture. What a great matter. And so they are in that place where all they have is the presence of the Lord and to worship him on this mountain. And God is about to meet him in the following verses on this mountain. And guess what? The greatest gift and the greatest thing that God could ever do for you is this, is not to provide your earthly pleasures and not to give you the mountain or give you the house that you wish that you would have or not to give you the best spouse, but to draw you and to bring you unto himself. That is the greatest gift, is to be drawn unto him. And so they are God's chosen people and so Moses was to instruct the people. This is what God is saying. You know what? You are to, in verse 5, it says this. Now they are to obey me fully and keep my covenant. Right? And so God is calling them. They are already God's chosen people, and God has already chosen to bring them to this place. But now he's giving them a choice in the matter. You're to tell the Israelites this, right? That if you keep my commandments, right, and you obey them fully, then this. And here's the condition then you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
these are the words that you're supposed to speak to the Israelites. And so Moses is to go back and tell the Israelites, you know what? If you obey God, if you acknowledge God, if you recognize God, if you keep his law, if you keep his commandments, guess what? He's going to make you a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And so Moses goes back and says this. Moses went back, summoned the elders of the people, and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded them to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. And so Moses brought the answer back to the Lord. And so the condition was this, that if the Israelites obeyed and they were obedient unto the Lord, they were going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And this obedience is not just obedience like when your mom tells you to pick up your clothes in your room and you say, yeah, mom, I'm going to do it uh, later. And then you go out for a couple hours and you hear mom's the door open up and then you run and scramble to collect all the clothes and put them away and to obey, right? This is the type of obedience that says what God has commanded, I'm not only going to follow in my mind, but follow in principle. Right? So if God has said this about marriage, I'm going to honor God in marriage. If God has said that I'm supposed to place him above everything else, above you know, sex, finances, wealth, and the cares and comforts of this world, then I'm going to place him first. We know that in Exodus chapter 20, you're about, he's about to lay down the law, the Ten Commandments, the things that he desires for them to be followed. And he's not just looking for them to say, you know what, I agree with that. He's saying, I want your actions to demonstrate this, to live this. It's an obedience to his word. And he's asking for them. And so... Moses goes back, and the Israelites are excited, right? They say, yes, Lord, we will follow. We will enter into covenant with you. We will enter into agreement with you. But here's the beautiful thing. Not only are they God's chosen people, but his choosing comes with some added benefits. Uh, If you will obey my commands and enter into covenant with me, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And what is a priest? A priest is one that had access to God. They had access to the favor of God, and they were a bridge between God and man. And he's saying the entire nation of Israel had this honor to be a bridge between God and man. To the rest of the world, they were the ones going to have access to God and to testify to the rest of the world of what it was like to know God. That he was giving them access to his presence. And the same promise is made to us as believers today in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Right? And so God is saying, you are my chosen people. You get to be partakers of the image of the glory of God. You get to be my people that shine my light, to reflect my image across the whole earth that I own. You get to be my people. You have access to the presence of of God. And we have been granted the same thing through Christ who died for our sins, right? Now we are the chosen people. Now we are the royal priesthood. Now we have access to God. Why? To declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is confirmed again in Ephesians um, chapter 1 verse 4. It says this, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Why? To be holy and blameless in his sight. That's the good stuff right there, right? That God chose me, chose me to be holy and blameless. I can look at my life in the past week and think, oh my goodness, me? You've chosen me, God, to be holy and blameless. I can look at all of my faults, all of my short-tempered moments, all the times where I've done what I wanted to do instead of what you wanted to do, all the times where I've placed myself above you and thinking, God, you chose me to be holy and blameless in your sight. And that's the same call, and that's the same desire, right? What did he tell the apostles? 
you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Why did I choose you? So that you would bear my fruit in the earth. What type of fruit? Fruit that will last. And so God is choosing you. God is calling you. And God is giving you access to his presence and saying, if you'll be my people, if you'll be faithful to me, if you'll commit your way to me, if you'll acknowledge me, guess what? You're going to be between a bridge between God and man. And not only that, I will make you a holy nation. I will set you apart from the rest of the world, and you will be my people, my treasured possession, the partakers of my glory. And the same thing reigns true for us today, that if we'll acknowledge Christ, if we'll put our faith in Jesus Christ as the substitute for our sins, guess what? We'll be his priests, his chosen people, the partakers of his image and his glory. And this is God's work still today. But something had to be done first before the Israelites could meet God before his presence was about to show up on that mountain. And it was this. In verse 9, it says, The Lord said to Moses, I am coming to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And, and the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on the day... The Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain, because whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. And so here's the thing. They are going to this place of meeting where they are about to encounter the presence of the Lord. And not his face, but his presence. And he's going to come in a cloud of glory on Mount Sinai. But before they can approach him or before they have access to him, they have to be consecrated. They have to be cleansed. Right? Because before you can approach a holy God, you yourself have the requirement of being holy yourself. And how many of us know that we live in a kingdom of darkness, we live in a world of sin, and we are marred by the effects of sin. And so we can't just approach a holy God. Because if we do... We risked the same thing that these Israelites did. This says they had to build a fence around the mountain to make sure that they did not come close. Why? Because, because of their sin and because of their uncleanliness, that if they entered the presence of the Lord, they would drop dead in their sins and their trespasses. And so what did they have to do? They had to cleanse themselves. And they did an outward symbolic cleansing of washing their clothes and abstaining from sex as kind of an outward cleanse. But guess what? We have the gospel here today that not only does an outward cleanse, but that does an inner work in us, right? And if we want to have access to God, if we want to be his chosen people, then we need the same thing that the Israelites do, to be cleansed. But guess what? That's what Christ did on the cross a couple weeks ago. We celebrated Easter. That's what Easter is all about, that he was our substitute. He paid on our behalf, right? He became sin. What? So that we might become the righteousness of God. We are now cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we now have access. An access that not only the Israelites didn't even have. Because our bodies are now the temples of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit now lives and reigns and dwells within us. And we have access to the presence of God because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the Israelites were going to see the glory of the Lord. But first they had to be washed and cleansed. And the same thing is true for us today. Is that we need to put, put on the righteousness and the robes of Christ. And if we do, we have access to the Father. And we ourselves get to be a holy people, a royal priesthood. And so I'll conclude um, with this. Sometimes we get this backward thinking or kind of notion that this call to holiness 
is some type of burden that we don't want. That it's, you know what? If I choose holiness and I choose following after God and being holy, then I'm sacrificing my happiness and my joy and I'm laying that down. And so, you know what? I'll be obedient to Christ and I'll follow Christ because I see that it's required and we almost treat it as a necessity. But if we had our druthers, we would rather not do it. We treat God almost like a job, you know. Well, if I go, I can get paid, and I want to at least get paid. I might not like the job, and I might not like what it takes, but at the end, I get the reward at which I want. You know, so if I follow God, and I'm obedient, and I choose holiness, then on the other end, I at least I get heaven. But in the meantime, I'm missing out on all of this, but I guess because heaven's a greater prize, I'll take that. And we develop this attitude of, well, you know what, I guess, I guess it's holiness, But listen, how mistaken we are and how underselling of God we really are because God is not just some road, right, or a means to an end. He is the end, right? He brought the Israelites to the mountain. He was the final destination. He is the one. He is the prize to which we want to obtain, right? And he, I want to go on with this first, right? Let's picture Adam and Eve in all of creation before sin had ever entered, right? Right? Where the world was perfectly holy. Where holiness was ruling and reigning and was there. Right? Were Adam and Eve miserable? Job 38.7 says this. When the earth was being formed, while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Right? Before sin entered in, they were rejoicing. They were singing. Psalms 19.1 says what? The heavens declare the glory of God. Right? And so Adam and Eve in perfection not only just had holiness, but they were filled with joy. And so what does the shed blood of Jesus Christ do? It gives us access into that. And holiness is not just a burden in which you have to carry. It is a privilege in which God has granted you and gifted you. And in that, whenever you find yourself pursuing holiness, you'll find a fullness of joy that is unmeasured here on this earth. Right? So holiness does not mean letting go of happiness. It means they work together hand in hand. The more that you pursue holiness, the more that you find your joy in the Lord. So if you want to find some more joy and you want to you want to have some more happiness in your life? Pursue holiness and watch everything else drown away and your heart being filled with the image of the glory of God and behold him as the treasured possession. What does it say? Whoever loses his life will be the one that finds it. Paul says in Philippians 3, whatever I had in the past, whatever I had achieved, whatever pinnacle I had reached, I count it all as lost for the sake of knowing Christ. Why? Because knowing Christ brought him a richer fulfillment than all his earthly accomplishments ever could. So the Israelites took a trip to Mount Sinai, and that was the journey that they were on, and where God demonstrated his grace upon them, where they were dependent upon him for his survival, and his presence was the place in which he led them where he set his affections and his desires on them to become his image bearers, to be his presence in the world and see Israel to be his chosen people. But we too have been led to our own Mount Sinai moments, right? Where God has led us there. And you want to know what all the obstacles, all of the hurdles, all the desert moments, all those times in your life, what they're about, they're about this right here, right? God is bringing you to the place where he wants to you to access his presence, where he wants you to be his chosen one. Right? And he brings you to those moments right in life where have we trusted and we believed, where we have acknowledged, where have we obeyed. And what does that look like for us? Right? For those of us that have never 
known what it's like to enter the presence of God or receive Christ as our Savior. It's this. It's acknowledging Christ's death on the cross as our substitute in our place, the one that would cleanse us. And if you've never done that, God is leading you to that place where you would place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ so that you could be a partaker of his glory. And if you have... 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 5 years ago. It's a call this morning to pursue holiness and to be his holy people and not to think that you're sacrificing or giving something up, but recognize it is the greatest fulfillment of what your life is all about. Your entire existence is to demonstrate the glory of God and there's nothing greater to which you could be bestowed and to walk and to pursue that. I'll tell you something I wrestle with um, and that as a pastor and doing it for even the last five years i never really know how to go about this and those are the moments of uh of altar call and what that means because i have a real problem with it because you know you'll get the pastor up there that'll preach and he'll give that really convincing message and he'll make it sound so good and so appealing and it's like am i responding to the motivational speech of a man or am I responding to the call of God? Or am I going front because hundreds of others are running front and I'm responding because everyone else is doing it because of the peer pressure around me? Or, you know, you have the others that it's like, do you want to burn in hell and die in hell and live a life of misery? Or do you want to go where there's peace and happiness and joy ever? And it's like, well, am I just responding because of, because of that? But here's the thing. I don't want you to respond to God. I don't want you to follow God. I don't want you to walk after God because of something Pastor Ryan has said or something because some wise man has said or because of some convincing words of a pastor. I don't want you to come because you're just afraid of what might happen if you don't. I don't want you to come because your parents might want you to or your friends might want to or others are doing it. I want you to come because you recognize and sense that God is working on your life and the Holy Spirit is bringing you to the mountain and he's choosing you and he's calling you out and you recognize the Holy Spirit working in your life, and you'll just respond to Him and respond to what He is doing. Because guess what? If you respond just because of a convincing message of enough to carry you, I've been to enough conferences and watched enough teenagers run front and everyone run to the altar and give their life to the Lord, and then two weeks later, why? Because they never encountered the living God. They were just responding because of that pressure. But if you respond to the Holy Spirit and what He is doing in your life, and you choose today to be obedient to Him and to trust Christ for your sacrifice, then guess what? He'll meet you there. And he would be the one that carries you and that leads you. So this morning, if you're in that place, if you've never responded, right, or you need to respond again, respond to what God is doing. Choose him. Choose him. As we sung this morning, you'll get to move with the lamb and walk with the lamb. And it'll be the final destination. You'll find what you're searching for. You'll find what you're looking for. And you'll find your meaning, your significance, your provision. And he will hide you under the shelter of his wing. So this morning, let's pray as we can close. Father, we thank you that just like the nation of Israel, they couldn't say, God, look at our faith. Look how much we trusted in you. Look how much we did and you delivered us. Or God, look at our faith and trust in you and that's why you delivered. No, God. It was a testament of your grace and of your provision. Father, even when they murmured, even when they grumbled against you, even when they didn't acknowledge you, Father, you were gracious to them. And you brought them to the place to where they could be consecrated to you. So, Father, I thank you that you lead us and that you draw us and that your Holy Spirit works in us and that you demonstrated your grace so freely upon us on the cross. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we would choose you. Father, in our sin, in our sickness, in our darkness, 
we can't enter in. But Father, your death on the cross was a substitute and we can be dressed in the clothes of righteousness and it can wash over us. In Jesus' name, amen.